0: This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with IDEO's Tim Brown about the future of design and the changing role of designers. Designers have perhaps been used to the idea that they get to design something that somebody else consumes. We have to get used to the idea that, no, no, in fact, we're going to help design something that other people are going to participate in. Here's Debbie Millman.
1: Welcome to Design Matters. My guest today is Tim Brown, the CEO and president of the design firm IDEO. I say design firm, but perhaps more than any other company, IDEO has expanded the definition of what design is. They've gotten deeply into management consulting, for example, in an effort to get companies and organizations to incorporate what Tim Brown calls design thinking early on and at every level. They've taken their approach to problem solving through design into unusual arenas from banking to healthcare and environmentalism. Tim Brown also has a new book out called Change by Design How Design Thinking Transforms Organizations and Inspires Innovation, published by Harper Business. Welcome to Design Matters, Tim.
0: Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks oh, it's much, so great to,
1: to have you. I'm such a big fan. First, tell us about the concept of design thinking. What is it? How is it used? And how did you come up with the term?
0: Really, design thinking is, a, is about trying to speed up the innovation around the sort of big challenges that we face in business and society to, today. And, it, and then uses creative tools, the tools of designers, things like prototyping, experimentation, storytelling, to develop new innovations and new solutions. I mean, the way that we came up with the term, in fact, I I credit this to David Kelly, who you know well and uh, is the founder of IDEO. He and I were talking about it in... uh his office at Stanford, and one day we were trying to think about what we'd got. All other sort of kinds of terms for it, sort of design with a little d, and you know, trying to get away from this idea of design as the sort of Museum of Modern Art high street object kind of thing. And and he he, he talked about how you know whenever somebody came up to ask him about design at school at Stanford, he would he would he'd say I would always end up putting the word thinking after the word design in order to explain what I did.
1: How did you get to IDEO? How did you – when you were little, did you want to be a designer? Was that something that you planned and plotted and pursued?
0: I don't think so, although I'm not sure I can remember really. But um, I know I used to build things when I was little. And, uh, like what? Well, my I, – I, <laughs> Another reference in the in the book is I, I built my first prototype, I think, out of Lego when I was about seven years old. Yes, yes. My, we, we had these big power. I love cut. that story. It, we had these big power cuts in England back in the early seventies, and and so I I got all my Lego and it had some of these little light bricks and um, these little light bulbs in them. I assembled it all, put it all together, built this big lamp, but this torch from flashlight for my mother so she could cook my dinner.
1: There was an interview that I read about you where you talked about Lego as being one of the building blocks, no pun intended, of the design uh, mind, really.
0: So many industrial designers that I know that either... Played with Lego or what we call Meccano, and they call it—you call it something different uh, in America. I can't remember what it's called now. As kids, and learn how to really explore things by building them, and which is one of the core ideas of design—is learning by making, mm-hmm. learning by exploring the world in a physical, tangible way, and and that's what Lego did for me.
1: So you went to art school.
0: Went to art school, and. I was very lucky. My, my, my father was a photographer and hadn't had a chance to go to art school and was very encouraged me to go and do whatever I wanted to do. And I didn't know what I wanted to do at art school. I fell into industrial design. And after a, a couple of degrees doing that, I graduated as an industrial designer. And that's what I wanted to do and was fortunate enough to be hired by... One of the other founders of IDEO, Bill Moggridge.
1: So, what did he see in you that encouraged him or motivated him to hire you? Do you know?
0: You would probably have to ask him, um, but you never uh, asked him. I never really asked him. You know, I, I think he enjoyed the the fact that I could talk about what I did, and I was fascinated by, by what he was doing because he was already showing how you had to bring other disciplines into design to make it relevant. I mean, he'd been one of the first industrial designers in Britain to hire human factors experts, for instance. And and, uh, that alone, for me, showed that design wasn't just the bit that we did at art school. It wasn't just the form making. That was a much broader set of things. And I was already interested in that. But it was only when I got to work for him, I realized quite how broad that set of things could really be.
1: Now, you mentioned that you really fell into the design business or the design field while you were studying. I can't tell you how many really accomplished, truly talented designers tell me that they fell into design. Why do you think that is?
0: Because nobody talked about it. Not when, I, when I was at high school, I mean, admittedly, I was in a backward country in the UK and in a very conservative school that didn't talk about design at all. I, maybe if I'd been to school in Denmark or in, you know, in Italy, I may have heard of design in a different way and wanted to do it much earlier. But I didn't discover it until I got to art school, really. I mean, I knew about car design, you know, automotive design, mm-hmm. and I was, I mean, I've always been a car f- fan, so I was vaguely interested in that, but I didn't really fancy the idea of designing hubcaps and steering wheels. So it just didn't get explained to us at high school. I think we maybe do a better job of that now. I think more people hear about design, and I hope more people hear about design when they're younger mm-hmm. and get in- in, you know, interested in it.
1: I had the uh, good fortune of collaborating with IDEO several years ago on a project with the Pepsi Cola Company, and I was struck while uh, participating in the brainstorming processes and and just being in the environment at IDEO. What a unique and unusual and vibrant culture the company has. And, and I don't think anybody was putting on a show because Pepsi was there or because there were other agencies there. It seemed entirely, thoroughly authentic. And I've never actually felt that type of culture in any other organization that I've ever visited, whether it be on the client side or on the agency side. How would you define that culture? Or can you define that culture?
0: It's very hard to define. I do know that the culture is... Probably the most valuable asset we have because obviously it's the result of the people and they're yeah, clearly they're Absolutely. Clearly. There is something about it being a very trusting c- culture, an optimistic culture, experimental, pretty flat. I mean, in terms of being not, very non hierarchical from a decision making standpoint, um, extremely collaborative, obviously. And so those things add up to something special where it feels as though people are there for much more than work. It's not a religion, though. I mean, so, I mean. Well, it felt a little. It, it bit can like It can feel a little cultish sometimes. Um, uh, it was a
1: certain euphoria.
0: Some of that's a West Coast thing, for sure. Um,
1: well, I've, I've been and, in a lot of West Coast companies too.
0: <laughs> and some, some, I think and, it you was know, just a, a palpable it, kind it, of energy. It's. it's it, we've been accused in the past of being a self-gratification company and and I think there's something in that we do do this because we really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, that was that was clear. That and, was really evident.
0: And we care about the impact that it has and we care, and you know and that's led us to some of the new things that we're doing these days. You know, I think we feel like we've got some kind of purpose, but but I wouldn't be able to describe it to you. I wouldn't be able to say this is our mission. We've never had a mission statement. You know, I think people come to IDEO feeling that they can do something that they wouldn't be able to do on their own or somewhere else. And that's hugely important. And and I've always seen my role and David used to see the same way as being principally to make sure that that culture evolves and thrives and stays vibrant.
1: Now, did you have aspirations to become CEO or was that something that was um, handed to you and something that you were not reluctant to take?
0: I had no aspirations to be a leader, manager, run a business. No? Absolutely no. Oh, I've got no training in it. I mean, I've not no... So how did you learn? Well, on the job, clearly. Um, The thing that I eventually figured out, and it did take me a while to do it, was that I could approach being a leader in the same way that I approached being a designer. In other words, I could treat everything as a project. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I realized that, I got quite comfortable, much more comfortable anyway, with the idea of leadership. When I thought that somehow being a leader, a business leader, required me to be somebody else, uh, you know, a business manager, uh, uh, somebody who understood spreadsheets, somebody, I was completely at a loss as as to what to do. I felt I was incompetent at that and I wasn't doing what I was really good at. Do you still? Um, well, now, because I feel entirely comfortable with the idea that I can be a designer and be a leader, you know, that I can treat leadership as a design problem. And I treat every piece of running IDEO as a design problem. And I'm, I know how to do design problems. I know how, so, so I feel much more comfortable now.
1: Now, over the years, IDEO has evolved from a more traditional design firm into a company that has taken on quite a few of the functions of a management consulting firm. Did your designers change? Did the founder's interests change or did the needs of the companies that you work with change?
0: I don't know that I would describe it as management consulting, to be honest with you. I I don't think we've changed from being designers to management consultants. I think we have taken design thinking upstream and and applied it to problems that are far more strategic, you might say, or er, earlier on in the business process. Mm -hmm. But I think for the most part, management consultants take an analytical approach, to how they help companies. they look at what companies are doing. They analyze it very carefully. They look at what the outside world's doing and they make recommendations. That's not what we do. What What do you do? What we do is try and figure out what the right question to ask is and then come up with creative solutions. Just the same thing that we do when we're asked to design a new product or a new service. So I'd say it's more about how we've applied design thinking in different ways than it is about us turning into management consultants.
1: Do you find that you reframe the questions that your clients come to
0: uh, come to you with all the time i think we always have done that to some degree mm-hmm.
1: can you give us some can you give me some examples of that i'd love it's, to know how you might do that
0: some years ago um, amtrak came to us and asked us to get involved in the design of the acela train which mm-hmm. has obviously been a, a while ago now but they I came, know it well right they came and asked us to design the seats on the acela train we said okay that sounds interesting and we spent a bit of time riding t- amtrak trains and we came back to them and said you know, have you thought about the whole journey? Have you actually thought about what experience your passengers will go through when they ride the Acela train? We've thought about it a little bit, and, and we would describe it as this journey, literally a 10-step journey. And actually being on the, on the train is step eight of that 10-step journey. Have you thought about the other steps? The answer to that was no, we haven't. And so what we ended up doing for them was a whole sort of experience strategy for for the Acceler train. And then we ended up helping design some of the trains and the seats. Mm-hmm. But it was really important to us and ultimately to them to think about that whole experience.
1: So IDEO is now a model in many ways of a practice that has expanded its activities beyond what would have been considered a more traditional designer's purview. The company has reorganized hospital spaces and the procedures of of hospitals, uh, invented new banking strategies, produced urban guidebooks, and that's just to name a few. You've also stated that the opportunity to fix things is the stuff that excites you. And I believe that's very near the end Mm -hmm. of the book. Mm -hmm. What about what you do excites you? What is it about creating things or making things that really does excite you or ignite your spirit?
0: For me, and I think for many of us at IDEO, it's this this connection between really trying to have insights about what people need or might need in the future – and turn those insights into something that actually makes their lives better. You know, whether that be a new process, for instance, the way that a nurse might change shift at a Kaiser hospital. Yes. Or wh- whether it be a new way of savings, like the keep, a, keep the change account for Bank of America, or whether it be a new product. I mean, it, it can be any range, you know, anything that allows us to ultimately have a positive impact on, people, on people's lives and that's incredibly rewarding i mean i think it's what drives most designers to be honest and i'm just perhaps you know i i I would probably accuse myself of of, to some degree having attention deficit disorder and i like to find more you know more interesting questions to ask and more interesting things to things to work on and and that's really been i think the sort of journey that we've been on
1: now in your book you define design thinking as a process and i'm going to Uh, This is where the quote begins. That taps into the capacities we all have, but that are overlooked by more conventional problem-solving practices. It is not only human-centered, it is deeply human in and of itself. Design thinking relies on our ability to be intuitive, to recognize patterns, to construct ideas that have emotional meaning as well as functionality. I love that quote. That's one of my favorite quotes in the book. I'm very, very interested in understanding how you believe design thinkers recognize patterns.
0: I do believe it's intuitive. Um, one of the things we, have, we struggle with and we have to struggle with with design thinking is there's some piece of it that cannot be explained and is not necessarily completely rational. Mm-hmm. That's that intuitive bit. That is, but it's what as human beings we do so incredibly well. And that's what often leads us to ideas that make sense from an emotional standpoint, they, they, they somehow connect to us as human beings, as well as making sense from a, from a functional standpoint. And how you get there, I mean, sometimes it's from what just feels right in the gut. Sometimes it's because you do lots of experimentation and try things out, and it's whatever works best. Or, and often it's a combination of those, of those two things. But it does, in my opinion, somehow connect to some of the things that make us most human.
1: Another one of my favorite quotes in your book is this. Design is a fundamentally creative endeavor. But I do not mean this in an arcane or romantic sense. In an analytical paradigm, we simply solve for the missing number. In a design paradigm, however, the solution is not locked away somewhere waiting to be discovered, but lies in the creative work of the team. The creative process generates ideas and concepts that have not existed before. Beautifully written. Uh, in your mind, is there any way to describe this magical process of how ideas come into fruition? Um, and I know you're, you're probably thinking, she's asking me the same question in a different way to get at my process. Not really.
0: And- no, 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 I, no, I would. I mean, it, it, is a, it is a process of synthesis. And the thing about synthesis is you've got to be able to put them all together into one thing. And that's why so many of the design techniques are so valuable. I mean, drawing, for instance. Um, or vis- uh, visually representing an idea is a really important part of synthesis because you're forced to make decisions. You're forced to decide something's going to look like this and not look like that. And yet you don't have to describe it in great detail. So you can pr- you can bring an idea together, you can make it whole, but not have to know everything about it in the way that you would have to if you're going to create an engineering spec. And so... These kinds of techniques that we've developed as designers to sketch, to draw, to build models, uh, in some cases, you know, in the narrative world of film and things to tell stories, they are a shortcut, if you like. They help us. They're a crutch to helping us synthesize our ideas and give them a form. And, uh, uh, and that is, you know, a crucial step in the design process. Otherwise, we've got all of these wonderful insights floating around in our heads or on whiteboards or wherever they were on post-it notes that never actually come together into any kind of solution.
1: You talk quite a lot about storytelling in your book, and you write that design thinking flourishes in a rich culture of storytelling. Uh, Storytelling is all the rage now, um, from the Moth podcasts to the transmedia storytelling at the Slab in Toronto. How did this become such a mem? (laughs) How did this become so popular? I don't
0: know about out in the world, but for me as a designer, it was a major revelation to discover storytelling, because I was well into my career before I discovered it. You know, as a product designer, I was taught to focus on the object. And to think about the object and, 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 and to worry about the object. And, and, you know, I used to have this incredibly naive belief, and as a lot of designers I think also have, which is the object speaks for itself. And so this notion that as a designer I would complete my design, I would h- hide it into a black sheet and I would pull it away and the client would get it all at that moment. As soon as they saw the object, right. they would understand everything about, you know, what it was supposed to do, which, of course, was rubbish. They never did. And, and why would they? I mean, you cannot read everything into an object in that way. So the revelation for me was joining Bill when I first started working with him. He would just started working in in, in interaction design, the design of software, which is a time-based activity. Software is a time-based medium. It is not a static medium. So in order to do that, he'd started to develop some of the techniques that time-based media artists and designers use, scenarios, storyboards, filmmaking, all these kinds of things.
1: And you refer to that as the fourth dimension.
0: Well, exactly, designing with time. And, And so for me... As a product designer, this notion that time was one of the things I had to design with was completely new. I'd never thought about it before. Now, you know, some graphic design, animators would already understand that. Filmmakers already understand that. But for me now, it's become so embedded because of technology, really, because of so much of what we of what we interact with today and what we design today does have this technology, the software built into it, that almost everything is time-based. And so... And, You know, when when you get to things like designing processes and strategies, of course, they're time-based. That's obvious. So storytelling is both the tool you use to develop those time-based solutions, but then also it becomes this powerful way of sharing and communicating the ideas when you're done.
1: Interesting that you talk about sharing because one of the biggest critiques that I've read about the notion of storytelling in business right now is that it's inherently, or it can be seen as inherently one-sided, as in, I tell the story and you have to listen. And so I'm wondering if there's a better way to talk about the mutuality Mm. of the way that these ideas are projected into objects or experienced by objects.
0: That's really interesting. I I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, I do think many of the techniques we're using today are not one-sided. They're often interactive. They often allow people to explore the stories for themselves. Another really powerful form of storytelling, if you want to call it that, that we often use is by building three-dimensional, full-size spatial experiences and have people go through the story physically. I mean, we were working on a project in our Munich office a couple of years ago on new billing strategies for a... Um, a mobile phone company, and so we decided to build the billing experience that customers go through as this long physical tunnel because it was incredibly confusing. It literally was like going into the kind of tunnel of hell. And so we built one and had you know the clients go through it and our teams go through it in order to kind of better put themselves in the mindset of, of customers. It was a very powerful idea. That was very much. I would say not a one-sided storytelling experience. Yes, we built the space, but how you interpreted that was all based on your own experience. So I think a lot of the techniques we use are actually more interactive than perhaps the term storytelling would imply.
1: Well, there is a certain mutuality, which is, I think, what I experienced when I was at IDEO and that sense of being really... Proud to be there and proud to be sharing the experience. And I had the same same experience uh, recently. I have a Honda Element and I was driving my Honda Element and I pulled up to a, to a light in New York City and then right next to me, th- a man in the exact same car, in the exact same color, the exact same everything pulled up right next to me and we looked at each other and we just waved at each other and we had this extraordinary sense of well I know that you know that I know that you know and I think ultimately that's really what great design can uh, help encourage I
0: agree I, I think perhaps we have to go back to the definitions of storytelling that used to exist when we were all sat around village fires and campfires sharing stories together
1: Building the in stories. order to
0: build the story and and, and and we're used to this idea of consumption of stories and I, I mean this is one of the for me the biggest themes of design going forward is 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 that we is this shift from consumption to participation and i think we're so used to – you know, we spent the last hundred years teaching everybody to consume stories, to consume media and to consume everything else, consume products, consume services, mm-hmm. this incredibly one-sided passive affair which um, was inc- extremely efficient as a way of distributing uh, industrialization but, also, but incredibly um, – well, ultimately damaging I guess you'd have to say in terms of the resources that it used to, to do it and also – in my opinion, much less fulfilling. Um, And one of the things that I find so exciting about what I think some of the latest web technologies are releasing, not just in themselves as technology, but this idea that we're moving back towards sort of mutual participation in the things that we care about. And, you know, I think designers have perhaps been used to the idea that they get to design something that somebody else consumes we have to get used to the idea that, no, no, in fact, we're going to help design something that other people are going to participate in.
1: Well, you write design is now too important to be left to designers, which can be both, I think, encouraging and also somewhat threatening. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that leaves us as designers?
0: I don't think it needs to threaten us in the sense of, does that mean we don't get to do design anymore? I think we we do have to to ask questions about, about what right we have to determine in everything about the experience that somebody else is going to have. Now I'm, I'm all for great curation and, and the ability of designers to create wonderful experiences for people. And I think at the, you know, a particular level, there's, there's still a role, absolutely a role for, for design in that. But I think when you sort of add it all up into the sort of larger systems of things that we're creating, I think we have to make more room for everybody to participate in some way. And whether that means in the creative process maybe, or whether that means in, 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 in the conversations that that particular artifact, whether it be a product or a service or something, creates. That might be another way of thinking about it. But I, but I don't believe that we can possibly solve some of the problems that we're talking about trying to solve today by taking a consumption-based approach. And I think as designers, we've always been at the forefront of changing the way people think. So I'd be very disappointed if we, if we sort of entrenched ourselves here and said, we're going to defend consumption because that's how we get to control design. I mean, I, I would be very disappointed if that's what we did. I'd be much more excited if we said, no, we know that we're going to have to think of new ways of doing things and we're going to have to play our role differently. But we really do want to move you know, society and, uh, and and the community towards thinking differently about the world.
1: In your book, you talk about transforming behavior through the use of different methodologies, through the use of uh, different experiences. And I think that one of the examples that best uh, articulates the use of design thinking is in the work that you have done with hospitals. Can you talk a little bit about some of the experiences you've had in this area?
0: Yes, yeah, it's been it's been really interesting to see how um, powerful an idea really design thinking can be when you get it into the hands of nurses and doctors and the medical with, profession. The medical profession, along with designers, of course. But um, you know, we've worked with a series of of of, of hospitals. Uh, the first one was working with um, uh, a hospital in uh, in Minneapolis, uh, DePaul Healthcare, where we were looking at how can we transform the experience of an emergency room. And there it was about, in a way, a slightly more kind of traditional set of design um, outcomes, simplifying the process, uh, making it much clearer through signage and uniforms and layout how how um, somebody, a patient would move through the emergency room experience. But the difference is we did it with the nurses. We didn't just do it as, a, as architects or designers and then pose it on the system. I think from there we went and, and, and did some great work with... Um, Uh, with Kaiser Permanente, uh, where, again, working with nurses, this time uh, getting at really the processes that determine the quality of the patient experience. And so uh, in a couple of examples, in one case, uh, the nurses redesigned the way that they changed shift.
1: Tell us about that, because that's such a compelling story. It's really,
0: I mean, you know, it seems like such a sort of banal thing in a way, but it turns out that when new nurses came on shift, they would The nurses would go back to the nurses' station and take about forty minutes, where they would tell each other about the various states and needs of patients before the new new shift would kind of come on onto the ward, and that you know that was obviously a long time, and and had some patients would feel we wouldn't be quite sure about is the right information getting told about me, and there was a lot of uncertainty in the whole system. So. By observing the current state of the system, by watching what happened, these nurses, then they brainstormed and prototyped and and ultimately implemented a new approach whereby the nurses change shift on the ward in front of patients using a very simple software tool on a little cart that they take around with them. So now um, uh, the two nurses will meet in front of a patient. They'll talk – in front of the patient about what's happened up during the last shift the patient would be able to add things if they want it'll all get recorded on this on this little software tool and that had the result of bringing the uh, average time that it took to change shift down from 40 minutes to 12 minutes as well as increasing confidence of patients and increasing how happy the nurses were in the whole outcome. So that seemed like quite a win, particularly when you multiply it by all of the hospitals and all of the nurses and all of the shifts on all of the wards that Kaiser has. So that was, that was really um, tremendously exciting. And now we're also, you know, we've also worked with the Mayo Clinic also. They've, they've got their own, innov- well, sorry, I'd go back and say Kaiser now has their own innovation consulting group of nurses inside of Kaiser doing design thinking on a regular basis. The Mayo Clinic, have created an innovation center with designers and doctors and nurses working together on new innovation problems inside the hospital i mean there's there's a floor of the hospital at the mayo clinic with with a design studio in it it's remarkable i mean these things sorts of things have never happened before so i you know i really think you know that 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 the kind of innovation that's going to come out of these um uh, these kinds of collaborations is going to be an important contribution to hopefully getting this healthcare system fixed
1: What about outside of the consumerist monster that we're all currently uh, participating in? What about cultures that are looking for ways to improve the very basic, fundamental rights of human beings? What have you done in in areas uh, like this?
0: Well, it's been tremendously exciting to to find that we've been able to start to work on some of these sort of social innovation issues, social issues issues. uh, outside the US and in de- particularly in developing countries, and uh, you know, one of the w- one really exciting project that we that we've been doing uh, was funded by the Gates Foundation, and we worked with some NGOs in Africa and India, developing a human centered design toolkit for NGOs themselves to use to help take a more kind of design centred approach to solving the problems of, in, in one case, farmers in, uh, in Africa and India, and in another, in another case, around, around healthcare and, and, and vision. And just seeing how uh, this very simple set of tools that we, we all use as designers, but when described in a really easy way in this kind of field guide, um, kind of unlocked the way that they came up with new ideas. And so I think that's one role that for those of us sort of who are designing in the West can play to help we don't always understand the problems well enough to be able to solve them directly for ourselves in these places, but by creating these tools for others to use, I think we can have an impact so that that was that 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 was that was really exciting.
1: I was so inspired when being at ideO of watching how um the the folks that work there encourage the participants in a brainstorming to come up with their own ideas for things. And one example that they gave to help inspire uh, those of us that might have felt less than confident in our participatory efforts was when, um, I guess, the first waiter or waitress came up with the idea of folding up a little piece of paper to steady a wobbly table <laughs> in a restaurant. And and I think that that is a, a wonderful use of design thinking. And I think it's one thing to make a wobbly table more stable and quite another to be able to help people create methodologies to develop cleaner drinking water or um, ways to feed themselves that that are uh, sustainable.
0: Yeah, these are tough problems. And, and I think we can't necessarily expect, as I say, to solve them from here. But we can help solve them from here. Um, You know, another project that we've been working on I continue to work on is with the Acumen Fund, who are based here in New York, and a social investment fund on clean drinking water, actually another project funded by the Gates Foundation, uh, where we're working with water organizations across India and now Africa. Um, working with them, again, to help them come up with solutions, whether it be for new water delivery services, new water vessels to make clean, uh, water drinker, drinking storage safer, or new communication strategies to, ha- to ach- actually to help communities understand the value of clean drinking water versus drinking from the river or wherever. And, um, and that's, uh, that started to have some quite uh, interesting impact you know, already, and that's a project that's going, going on at the moment.
1: Thank you, Tim. We've come to the end of our broadcast today. I'd like to thank you so much for being here, Tim Brown, the CEO and president of IDEO, and the author of a remarkable new book, Change by Design, How Design Thinking Transforms Organizations and Inspires Innovation. Thank you for joining me today. I'd also like to thank our listeners for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.